There we go. Oh, my Friday. Got it. John Curley, Sherry Elliker Show, starring Sherry Elliker and Sonny Bono. Jacob? I thought it was Bono. Wait, I'm Bono. Bono. Yeah, thank you. Bono. <laughs> I, who always gets every last name wrong. <laughs> I think that might have been why I assumed... I, I assumed you were messing with me and get, trying to goad me into correcting you. Mm-mm-mm-mm. It's not the way I play. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh sure. Johnny, <laughs> okay. Johnny, don't, Johnny don't play that. Uh-huh. All right. I read this piece in um, Wall Street Journal. I always like Peggy Noonan on Friday. I highly recommend uh, you get a chance to enjoy some of her work. And as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, that's great. I'm going to send that to Jacob. And then what do you know? Uh, Miss Sherry had gotten up three hours ahead of me, read the same article, and boop, sent it off to Jacob. Um, Americans long for authenticity. Reflections on Nikki Haley's announcement. Super, um, oopsie, uh, super duper big game ads. When are we allowed to say it? You can say it in context as long as you don't read it as part of a spot when you're selling something. So it's it's oh, important okay. to not say it during advertisement. We can say it as part of when we're talking about the game. Yeah, I got it. Reflections on Nikki Haley's announcement and Super Bowl ads and Will Smith's humiliation. She basically points out that um, let's let's be real. That's kind of the take of the whole thing. That's what authenticity is. I like how she starts out with her critique of Nikki Haley. And you kind of mentioned this as well, Sherry, just when Nikki Haley talks about, I'm going to wear high heels, and when you wear high heels, look out, you can kick them where they hurts or some stupid thing like that. She also takes a shot at just the whole way you present your, you know, announcement that you're going to run for president of the United States. Right. She says that Nikki Haley's um, presentation or her announcement was tired, cliched, and phony. She said... Anytime you say somebody something like you're tough as nails, it's almost embarrassing that mm-hmm. we don't need to hear that. And that there she was, you know, walking down the thing, pointing at people like a politician. And there was some sort of Rocky theme or something in the background. It was so familiar. Right. It was such a formula that we've seen so many times over and over and over again that we've got to be tired of it. And that I I think in some way she's also saying that we're, we're a little jaded, right? We we we're, we're kind of done with that sort of thing. Um, and she takes aim at the Super Bowl ads too. She says that if you look at the Super Bowl ads, they were jittery and rather cruel and cynical, and it looks as it, it appears as though they are peddling to a nation of idiots. Hmm. Yeah. Well. You always want to sell to the lowest common denominator, right? Mm-hmm. So you just – it's and, and there's no such thing as original idea. I think Plato or Aristotle said that. And so you hire these different companies to come in there, and they're it's formula and cookie cutter because it's what works and what's been done over and over again. And when the guy comes in with a different idea of some way to do it, well, we don't do it that way. We're going to have you come out to, you know, eye of the tiger and you're going to point, you're going to wave. And then you're, here's your speech and these things you're going to say. And people are going to go, OK, it's over and over and over again. And then I thought the most compelling part of her article was how she wanted Will Smith to go on before the Academy Awards and to make this speech. It's a little long, 
but he just started to cut through the beginning, very beginning. I volunteered to be here tonight. I didn't ask. I formally apologized to Chris Rock. I did nothing to deserve my attention to all of you. As a public figure, I deserve exactly the wrong message. And then she goes on to say, and then I'm sorry. I paid a high price. This is what she would like uh, Will Smith to say. I paid a high price uh, in the past year in opportunities and relationships. I can't say this is unjust. I will never speak of it again. Chris is free to. Uh, I have said my piece. I'm going to continue to work on myself. I ask you as I close, please do not applaud if you are going to. After all the furor, let's end it quietly with thought. Thank you. And then it says cut straight to a commercial, a peaceful, calm one with a little heart, and then come back and continue the show. It's perfect. It will never happen in a million years, but it is absolutely perfect. That's what should have happened a year ago, and it never did happen. And Mm -hmm. I think what she's trying to say is, in terms of authenticity, you know, that's a genuine apology. That's saying, I'm really, really sorry. I have, I have paid the price for it, but I deserved it. And Mm -hmm. she said that when the Academy, I guess, got together and they were talking, they admitted that they didn't handle that properly, that they didn't do enough. Um, and that they don't need an image rehab. It, they need to be honest and he needs to be honest. And Mm -hmm. it's all of this window dressing, like with Nikki Haley, you know, her coming out and doing her little thing and making her speech and reminding everybody that she's a tough woman and she's got on high heels and they'll kick her harder than regular. You know, it's just, it's so predictable. Right. Well, I, I think that, again, what we talked in the very beginning of the show, then if you would like to be able to get some response from somebody, you always want to be able to <clears throat> be stimulating, as my therapist, John Mace, may rest in peace, used to say, that's your monkey brain. That, that's the reptilian, or not even reptilian, but the monkey brain responding to a stimuli that reduces, re- releases cortisol and makes you feel a whole bunch of things. And you press those buttons. And Facebook has figured it out, and YouTube, and the, all the algorithms, and everything they send you sends you to agitate you, nothing to make you peaceful. And all advertisement is all done by fear. You're going to lose this, lose this, lose, 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 lose. Get this, get this. Here's the problem that you have. Here's the solution. And if you don't, fear is the greatest button. You always want to push the fear button because just as we're built these mammals to survive, we have only two instincts: one is to procreate, and one is to survive. So you press the fear button. You press the fight button. How many times is a politician, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight, fight, fight. Uh, you know, that, that, that's primal, right? That is a primal response. I'm, somebody needs to fight for me. That there's forces out there to come get you or inside to come get you or something's under the bed to come get you. And I'm going to fight and find it. So this fear, always pushing fear, fear of this and fear of not having this. Fear of not having the latest gadget and gadget and car and whatever else it is. It's going to bring you comfort. And that's only temporary because then, you know, it fades after you get the initial response to the new purchase or whatever it is, the new thing. And then you go back to, you know, the monkey brain wanting to be stimulated by something. And then they're going to sell you again on fear. Um, it's much easier with that. And, you know, she's saying, why don't we... I think these are not her words, but my takeaway from the piece was let's let's try to connect at a higher level. And why not stimulate a different part of the brain? Um, 
and and it'll be harder to do. It's not as easy, but we owe it to ourselves to be to try to strive to be better as opposed to always being the bottom common denominator of whatever the emotion is that you're trying to get from somebody. I think that's right. I, I think she also challenges, I think, for all of these institutions, the the advertising world, the, the Hollywood, politicians, to do it differently, to do it with authenticity, to do it with honesty. And I'm not really sure we're ready for that. I think that we, we, and, and I don't even really know what that would look like. Like, what would it look like to have a politician come out there and be honest and say, Hey, look, I'm going to try to do what I can, but let's, let's be honest. You know, I'm only one person. I can't change the world. Uh, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this. This is, you know, I mean, to lay it out there like it really is not to give this raw, raw speech about I'm going to, you know, fix all these things that are wrong with the world and change all these things. We know that's not going to happen. That's impossible for one right. person to do that. So if they were honest and they said, here are my limitations, but this is what I am going to do. Would you set, would you buy that person or would you buy the person that, that, that was the cheerleader that promised you the world? Um, well, it's very hard, right? Because the other person's going to come in and say, well, my opponent is not, is not willing to fight for you. It's not, it doesn't have the courage, doesn't do it. I can, I will. Think about the Lincoln Douglas debates. They went all around the United States, or at least part of the United States. And Lincoln would speak without a microphone for an hour. Douglas would then speak for an hour. Oh no, two hours and then two hours. And then I think Lincoln had a one hour response and then they would pack it up and go to another town. That was a debate, sometimes lasting as many as seven hours. Now we have a presidential debate. You ask some incredibly difficult question and then you say, you know, Mr. Trump, you have two minutes to respond. And then Mr. Biden, you have one minute for rebuttal. <laughs> it's like two, two minutes. One minute because the attention span is our attention span really that narrow? And is it getting so small that we would be able to compete against a fruit fly for the ability to have the attention that we would need to have? Um, I thought one of the most interesting debates I ever saw was a vice presidential debate. And he was the third party candidate in there with Anderson. And he was the remember he got up there. Gosh, I can't remember his name right now. Uh, he was in the military. I think he was I remember exactly his. And he said, yes. who am I? Well, what am I doing here? Remember that? Um, yes. Come on. What was his name? Jacob, quickly check that out. And, uh, and, he, and he was um, he was criticized because he wasn't television ready he wasn't he he was just this reg but not he wasn't even a regular guy he was a very well decorated man but he didn't really he wasn't a phony james stockdale yes yes thank you by the way you're going to be co-hosting with him on monday <laughs> okay good i liked him who am i and what am i doing here yeah, yeah. people aren't ready for that because it's going to seem to be just way too much for people here, this is a guy, it, people are now saying this is the guy that could be president of the United States. He was a uh, big muckety-muck in a pharmaceutical business, uh, made a whole bunch of money. He then decided to quit his job. Um, oh, my God, look at his name. Vi Vivek Ramaswamy? 
Ramaswamy? Something I close. I think that's what it's. It, yeah, Vivek Ramaswamy. Got it. He'll be also co-hosting with you on Tuesday. But I stepped <laughs> down as CEO of that company to focus on a different kind of cancer. By the way, people are saying this guy has everything it takes to be president of the United States. Not a biological cancer, but a cultural cancer that threatened to kill that dream that Martin Luther King had 60 years ago. That threatened to kill the dream that allowed me to achieve everything I ever have in my life. And that is a new secular religion in this country whose belief system centers on the idea that your identity is based on your race, your gender, and your sexual orientation, full stop. That if you're black, you're inherently disadvantaged. That if you're white, you're inherently privileged. No matter your economic background or upbringing, your race and your gender govern who you are and what you can achieve in your life. Now, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley of the squad, she actually summarized this philosophy pretty well when she said, we don't want any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. I guess I don't fit her description of what counts as a brown voice. But I will tell you this. There's a really clever move in there. That when your race goes from being about your skin color to being about the content of the ideas you're allowed to have, then any disagreement with those ideas automatically means that you are a racist. And there is no greater damnation in modern America than to be called a racist. So when given the choice between pledging allegiance to this new religion and being tarred with the scarlet R, everyday Americans are choosing to bend the knee. And that has created a new culture of fear in our country. Fear of losing your jobs. Fear of your kids getting a bad grade in school. Fear of becoming a pariah in your own community. He's known as his uh, sort of nickname is the anti-woke CEO. He was asked by Steve. Recently, Lucy. though, people are saying, you know, Vivek, you should run for president. And I know you're chewing on it right now. When might you have a, any sort of an announcement? So I'm seriously considering it. I've been very transparent about that. In fact, I expect to make a decision in, rel- in the relative near term. But to me, this isn't a question about the who. Sometimes I think the conservative movement, the Republican Party, even we, obsess too much over the question of the who without enough asking the question of the what and the why. What do we stand for? And I just see an opportunity right now in America to answer the question of actually what it means to be an American today. You ask most people my age that question, you get a blank stare in response. And to me, I think we have a chance to revive the ideals that this nation was founded on and to use that to dilute the woke agenda to irrelevance. That's what I've been talking about through my books and other work over the last few years. But I'm really looking at how I can take that to the next level and hopefully spawn a revival of national identity in this country that we're missing. Wow. I don't know if he'd be self-funded, but he said he was inspired to see that Donald Trump could, as a business person, run for president. So the guy's got a ton of money, lots of rich friends. His parents immigrated here from India. Uh, He went to Yale Law School and Harvard. He's got the brains and um, the passion. It would be interesting to see somebody come out of absolutely nowhere like that and, you know, strike that chord um, and, and get the attention 
you know, and stand on the stage with anybody else and be out there. So he's impressive, really impressive. By Vic. Vivek. Want to co-host with him on Monday? Or uh, yeah, can we just call him Vivek? You want to you want to bump Stockdale? If he's still alive, I'd really like the time with him. All right, fine, got it. Get him on the phone, okay. Jacob. Get, 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 <laughs> figure out how to say his name, and then let's let's get him on. All right. Great. How's that list of people I'm telling you to get on? How's that coming? It's uh, only getting longer, I think. Where are we on Jesus Christ? Yeah, <laughs> I've sent up a lot of prayers. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, that's all you need. Hot take. times you felt this coming on the radio who am i why am i here there <laughs> uh, they got a big laugh anyway all right uh let's see is the um what's that oh i'm sorry sorry bucky's bucky's auto service centers you know they've got 16 locations i've got new no, no new locations they don't need one they've been around for 52 years that's bucky's bucky's auto service centers take the car there and by the way it looks like the um Seattle, did we do the, uh, yeah, so is your, is your, the Seattle little neighborhood, is it a 15 minute neighborhood? Check out the map from, um, the Seattle Times. A 15 minute neighborhood, what are they describing that as, Sherry? So 15 minute city is, is a kind of a trendy thing that they've been doing. This started in Paris, where you should be 15 minutes away from just about everything. And I'm talking about mm-hmm. being able to walk or bike. So 15 minutes away from a grocery store, from a school, from a park, from a, uh, you know, any, anything that you would need to maintain your life without having to get into a car. So mm-hmm. they broke this down by neighborhoods and here just, some of the takeaways. 99% of um, the neighborhoods in, in the Seattle area can walk to a park. 97 can walk to a downtown bus. About 91% can walk to coffee shops and restaurants. Only uh-huh. 15% can get to a high school. And 27% can get to light rail. Uh, but the Seattle Times has a map so you can look at your neighborhood and see where all of this is and, and kind of see where where your uh, neighborhood ranks in terms of a 15 minute neighborhood to 15 minute city. Uh, they don't want you in your car. You want to be able to walk. It is nice. We lived in Queen Anne. We lived over on Warren Avenue. We would walk down into Fremont, take the kids for a walk in the stroller and walk back up again. It was convenient. It was nice to go out for a walk at night. I know that in Sammamish, we had problems. We didn't have enough sidewalks. People complained about that. So we put sidewalks in, making it more walkable, have stuff closer by. It is more convenient, but it is more of an urban setting than it is in a suburban setting. Um, the importance of being able to have a, a 15 minute, you know, 15 minutes to get out to somewhere and come back in again. And again, it's just basically just trying to get you out of your car that it would make life simpler and better. If you could do something like that. I remember reading, we, when I was on the Spanish City Council, we were coming up with this new town center. And they talked all about, like, oh, we want everything right here. You don't have to get out of your car, get on a bicycle. And it's reading about this city planner who said, you will leave your uh, apartment, condo, or townhome. You will then ride your bike down to this lake and get in a canoe and canoe over, paddle over to this other side where you then go to the supermarket, pick up your groceries, get back into your canoe, come back across the lake, get onto your bicycle and head back home again. Mm-hmm. 
It's like it's just what? ridiculous. It's well, ridiculous. no, they, I know, but it's always like you know. And then, it, hey, g- good luck finding the, uh, the the trail, right? From yeah. from uh, yeah, because Lewis and Clark were unable to find it, but these city planners are able to come up with this stuff so that nobody ever has to get in their car again because cars are bad and commuting is bad, and you know it's a terrible situation that you have, um, and, and people are. You know, poking holes in this whole 15 minute thing. They say it's all part of this sort of conspiracy to, to, um, you know, control the way you live your life. Um, the, uh, the 15 minute park premise is simple. All amenities are all right there. They've talked about it in France and other places that have it. I, I want to s- switch topics just ever so un- ungracefully. Did you, did you read the thing about the Seattle freeze? It was also in the paper. Yes, I did. Yeah. So what they're saying is the free and anybody that's new to the area, there's just the so the general idea is that Seattle is not a very friendly place. It's known as a screen door friendly. That was another term, meaning they will talk to you. They won't open the screen door, but talk to you through the screen door. Harder to make friends, harder to have relationships uh, because there is this freeze that exists where Seattle is not very welcoming. They're not good with talking to strangers. You're not going to be able to develop relationships because it's, there's the Seattle freeze. And the Seattle Times says maybe it is thawing because new people are coming in all the time. Um, I can't speak to it because I know when I started here, I got on Evening Magazine and people watched the show, so they knew me. So there was never this thing. There was, hey, there's, hey, there's John Curley. So I never had to sort of break through to begin conversations with people. So I wanted to see why that freeze might have existed. Norwegians and Swedes, there were 40-some million in the United States. 10% of them settled in the Northwest. And they're not really outgoing people. The Swedes and the Norwegians, they don't do small talk. In fact, they hate small talk. And if you try to engage in small talk, they have a big, big problem with it. Just a friendly hello or nothing else. You won't be able to engage with the guy serving you the cup of coffee. They just don't participate. If they have something to say to you, it's only a fact to tell you something. No chit-chat. They're not, that's a whole no chit-chat countries. Um, and they said that's probably because there was so much space between people. There was so much open land that you didn't really need to talk to anybody and chit chat with anybody. If you're going to see somebody, you're telling them, you know, your horse is lame or, you know, something, just some Swedish thing to somebody. So yeah, a lot of the Swedes and Norwegians were here. And then you pile on top of that a lot of tech people that were coming in they say anywhere between 50 or up to 75 percent of people in the tech world are introverts and not really good at carrying on sort of that casual glib conversations that we engage in for four hours every single day monday through friday on the three to seven show does that seem to make some sort of sense and maybe less swedes less norwegians maybe less tech people coming in and people are more likely to engage in conversation it might make sense. I'm not so sure that the historical nature of it really applies because most of those people don't exist anymore, and I think people evolve. Um, uh-huh. But but different cities have different. They have um, just a whole different energy, a whole different. I mean, I know Baltimore is a very friendly city. People want to talk mm-hmm. to you all the time. Way too much. You know, they want to, they want to engage you. They, they want to, they want to talk about the Ravens. They want to talk about everything. They will talk and talk and talk and talk. And Northern Virginia is the opposite. Northern Virginia, everybody is in a hurry 
all the time. They're stuck in traffic. They don't have time. They don't want to, they don't want to do it. I, I think it's probably more a function of the tech world in Seattle's case than it is a, a function of probably what happened historically or ancestrally because that's very true. I, I remember early on um, when people were just starting to to get into like computer science and all of this stuff. And somebody said to me, if we could find somebody that just had a personality, we would hire them and pay them double because they just, none of them want to talk. None of them want to really, you know, engage with each other. So I think that's, that's part of it too, is that it's just sort of the nature of, of, you know, who moves there? What's the, what is the general, you know, what's the profession, that type of thing. Um, and I've only been to Seattle a few times, and everybody that I encountered was very friendly. Everybody was really nice. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a totally different experience than moving there and trying to integrate into social groups. Yeah. By the way, I know last time you were in Baltimore, but Baltimore now ranks as um, – Baltimore ranks among the world's least friendly cities. That's from 2015. You better get back over there and start charming them again. Well, that was 10 years ago, and I had moved there, so I, I kind of upped that thing a little bit, you know, being so friendly that I that I am. So maybe it's changed. <laughs> yeah, they need you. They, they sense a void. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm trying to see where Seattle is on the map of least friendly cities. Oh, look at that. There's uh, uh, France. Uh, Leon France is in there. Milan, Italy. Oh, wow, this is all big international stuff. I'm sorry. I don't like to do lists. Although when I was away that one day, you and Spike did three hours of lists. <laughs> we did. It was called the three to seven list. Yeah, and that's all it was. It. <laughs> Is Seattle uh, cold and uh, chilly to you, Jacob? Um, I, it's hard to say because I'm, I feel like I'm contributing. I, I'm, I'm cold yeah, and chilly right, to others. So right, That's true. True. Yeah. Okay. Andrew, to you as well. Cold and chilly. Hard uh, to make friends. Uh, yeah. Oh I think so. All right. Well, if you shave those weird sideburns off, maybe things will improve. <laughs> Nate, over there, the maybe. Beacon Plumbing Traffic Desk. Is Seattle cold and chilly? Very welcoming and warm. Fuzzy. Oh. Oh, look at that. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Good. Good to know. Ready for a big hot take from Sherry on this one? This is a—is uh, this guy a scientist? He must be an expert or scientist because he's determined what song of all the many, many songs ever recorded. He has determined that this one is this the happiest song. He cats. Yeah, he's—he did. He's got a—he's got. A, his name is Michael Bonchore, and he's got a PhD in music psychology. And he studies music in relation to well-being. And this mm. is what he says. To be create a happy song, there's the combination of a major key, seventh mm. chords, okay. 137 BPM, strong beat, four beats in every bar, and a verse-chorus, verse-chorus structure is a surefire way to produce a happy beat. Has to have a short intro, repeated riffs, high volume, bright tone, and a mix of predict predictability and surprise. And he then lists them all. Oh, no, it's a list show. Um, coming in at number four, it's Pink and Get This Party Started. Let's be back it up on the guitar. All right. 
Are you happy? That. Does that make you happy on a scale of one to ten? No, How I'm pigs... so tired of that. I'm tired of that song. It's okay. like weddings and people with videos together. And then Dick Clark returned. Let's write that song. Okay. Um, and number three, this is all supposed to make you happy because it's beats per minute and it's got the chord progression. Uh, it's House of Fun by Madness. Never heard it before. Me neither. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> okay. Jacob, are you sad still? <laughs> well, I don't want to speak because it'll make people even more sad. True. Uh, James <laughs> Brown, number two. Wow, I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. Thank nope. you, James. Didn't do it for you. Nope. Don't feel happy. How about you? Uh, no. Whenever I hear James Brown, I always think of the time he came on that show he was doing in Washington, D.C., and he didn't know what he was doing. And they, I introduced him, and then they played the music, and he then turned to me live. It was a live show, and he go, I don't know this one. I don't know this one. I don't know the words. Oh, he was going to perform? Oh no no! They had already started the song, and he <laughs> then he went. I don't I don't know this one. <laughs> okay, okay. So not happy with this. You're not happy with James Brown that or his that, song. No, I feel so, I feel sorry for him. Okay. All right, everybody. If you're in a bad mood, dear Casey, has anyone ever written a song and it made everybody happy? And the answer is yes. And that song is Good Vibrations. <laughs> I love the colorful clothes she wears And the way the sunlight plays upon her hair I don't know this one you're supposed to say. Good, 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 Wow. It's not I'm not a Beach Boys fan. I I I don't like their I don't really like their music. Sorry, I'm not much of an American, I guess. How about you? Do you like does are are you happier now? Do you feel enlightened? Do you feel lighter and bouncier? Uh oh, here comes a guitar. <laughs> here comes real happiness. John singing. It's a very, very complicated song. People that are musicians okay. will tell you that the, the, the harmonies are crazy. It's a really difficult song. It has all sorts of interesting layers to it and stuff, but no, it doesn't make me any happy. It seems too obvious. I'm surprised you didn't do like, don't worry, be happy. Could have chosen that one. Are, are, were you going to play something on the guitar that made you happy? I sort of play good vibrations for you. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Just to make us even less happy. We've heard <laughs> it once. We hate it. Let's hear it again. I love the colorful <laughs> clothes she wears. 